Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. On today's episode, Rove returns to discuss War of the Sontarans, the second episode of the new Doctor Who season, Flux. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I'm not talking to you until you remove your helmet here at Big Squid. Great to have you here for the next instalment of our Doctor Who series and another fun episode to boot. I really am enjoying this season so far. I know we're only two episodes in, but it also means we're a third of the way in. So, so far, so good. Uh, There is something very exciting about knowing that (laughs) there's only four episodes to go to finish off the story, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. I am just having a really good time. I have some of your comments from online to share as well, but before we do, just a heads up as to what is happening this week with the podcast. So, obviously, we have today's episode all about Doctor Who. Then on Tuesday, I will have as my guest comedian Rebecca Melrose, and I will also give you my review of the new Marvel movie, Eternals. Interesting film. I'll leave it at that for the moment. Did not dislike it. Yes, I will definitely leave it at that. I feel like I could keep giving you four or five extra sentences that keep summing it up, but uh, I've been thinking about it a lot, so I'll put that all into a review for tomorrow's episode. And then on Thursday, we continue our limited series, Space Podacy, where comedian Ben Elwood and I are looking at some of our favourite science fiction movies. And the next episode covers John Carpenter's The Thing. So if you haven't watched that for a while, you have a few more days to uh, get it under your belt. If you've never seen it before as well, you know, like I know there's some of these movies just slip through the cracks sometimes. So you have a couple of days to check that out. In fact, I'm actually hours away from seeing the new James Bond movie. So look, there might even be a little bonus mini app that will review that as well. I don't know when I will uh, get time to 
get that done. Maybe Wednesday, maybe Friday. So keep an eye out for a little bonus mini episode too. Uh, If you're signed up to our Patreon, you will also have an episode of the Big Squid podcast that is dedicated to you. And today's shout out goes to the other Wilcox. Not only are they a patron of the show, but they're also a very funny cartoonist. You can find their work at the other Wilcox on Facebook. Some very funny cartoons there. uh, Definitely worth checking out. I think I probably lost a bit of my time this morning checking them out as well and uh, really enjoying them. So thank you for being a part of our rapidly growing community here and uh, you along with all of our patrons are very much appreciated. Uh, If you'd like to uh, join, head over to Patreon and look up Big Squid Justin Hamilton and you can join in the fun and get the bonuses that come with it. Uh, Let's talk about the comments that were directed to Rove and I after the first episode about uh, the new season of Doctor Who. Lots of people giving uh, just versions of enjoying it. Uh, Andrew Klein, Kirk, DJ Alpha T, Julie Mason, Jed Sweeney, and Happy Hulloween. <clears throat> what a good pun. I really enjoyed that. They gave us uh, lots of myriad versions of how much they're enjoying the new episode, uh, the first episode. Uh, Paul Pearson mentioned he was surprised we didn't discuss the reveal of the Division's tie-in to this season, with possibly the Swarm being the arch enemy of the Fugitive Doctor. Look, it was in my notes. <laughs> it was there. And here's the thing about a freewheeling podcast that has to be written, recorded, produced, and uploaded with a deadline in mind. Shit slips through the cracks. So we'll make it up to you here, PP. It was definitely there. But uh, turns out Rove and I know how to go on a tangent. Uh, Al Johnson said it had potential for fun, but he felt like it was being shouted at by a two-year-old for an hour, which begs the question... When have you experienced a two-year-old shouting at you for an hour? That sounds fucking awful. And all of a sudden, I'm once again wrapped that I'm not a parent. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, don't get me wrong. I hear that kids can be heaps of fun and really satisfying. But if I had a two-year-old who was yelling at me for two hours, anyway, I don't need to put up with that. So (laughs) it's it's a good metaphor. Uh, hopefully uh, this uh, episode, AJ, was a little less shouty-shouty for you. Okay, let's get into this episode, as the Doctor is not only separated from Yaz and Dan, but also discovers herself in the middle of the Crimean War, aiding the British Army as they fight a foe they barely comprehend, in episode two of Flux, War of the Sontarans. Mary Seacole. Mrs. Seacole to you. Please tell me you're not about to engage Sontarans in battle. I accept your offer of a massacre. A champion outpost of the Sontaran Empire. No, it won't. I'm going to just start slightly off topic and it's a very specific question for you, which is I feel like I might be enjoying this season more than the previous three seasons because when when we worked on Whovians, people didn't realise that we would often get the episodes a week out. And what that means is often they weren't finished and you would not quite get the episode with 
the special effects finished or, you know, you'd get footage of a really emotional moment and standing behind them is two dudes who are really bored holding up a green screen. And I think it's probably giving me 10% more enjoyment that I don't have to fill in the blanks. Absolutely. I had the exact same thing. I was looking at... Uh, episode one and thinking the exact same thing of uh, imagine if we had been watching this in the exact same way, like how much of this episode would we have got? What would it have looked like? And yeah, I, 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 or even just the opening shots of this was incredible. Just the landscape shots, which, I'm guessing uh, not will part green screen, but also on some sort of studio's uh, space or location. And I kind of like the fact that I haven't seen how it was done. Like we have seen before where there's a Mondasian Cyberman holding up Peter Capaldi's limp body, but in the version we saw, it's standing in front of a green screen and he's actually not being held up but lying on like a big table that will be erased <laughs> digitally later. So already this this series looks incredible and what a difference that makes to enjoying it. The special effects, every time Swarm touches someone and they disintegrate, the big battle scenes, the Sontaran ship crashing into all the other ones, it just looks impressive, which is not yeah. what you would normally get from Doctor Who. No, no, not at all. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of gives it a little bit of extra pop in uh, every moment. And, you know, right from the start, we open with the Doctor looking like she's passing through a memory of a crooked house in a crooked place. And I'm wondering, is this what the TARDIS is becoming? Is this a memory of her time with the Division? Or maybe Jareth the Goblin King decided to make a granny flat for his castle. Like, what's going on with that place, (laughs) do you reckon? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, we've had a lot of, you know, stuff about the Doctor in her dreams and I want to give a shout-out to um, Paul who got in touch with this. Uh, oh, on I, I mentioned Paul. Yes. Yeah, that uh, we didn't spend enough time on the Division elements from last week's show, which is fair enough. I only had watched the episode once last week. I've watched it twice this week before we have spoken about it. I caught the reference with Swarm, the mm. two space cops that came to check on on him were from the Division. I didn't catch that um, our dog friend, um, what's his name again, Carvanista? Carvanista? Yes, something um, like he, he too is from the div- Division and that's why the Doctor's following him. The Division, of course, we found out at the end of last season uh, the, I guess, CIA, the hidden operatives within Gallifrey, which are uh, the ones who decided we won't just be benevolent, let's go tinkering with uh, time, space and other planets and their history, uh, but we'll pretend we never exist. And they are the ones who had the power to regenerate and use the timeless child. All very complicated which I'm sure is what we're getting to. So that is very interesting to sort of come into into this episode because maybe that's what we're seeing, flashbacks here. Same thing as the TARDIS looks like it's kind of getting 
slowly morphing into a similar kind of look as as it becomes an Escher drawing. So there's a lot of very tantalising things. I think last week when we saw Swarm with the division coming in, I don't think that necessarily happened just before Swarm has escaped and re re grabbed his sister. I think this may have happened a long, long, long time ago. And this right. is possibly his origin story we saw out of sync where, where he too has grabbed the power of regeneration and maybe before he even met the doctor, which is interesting. Yeah, so, well... But uh, to uh, go a little bit further ahead then, uh, it's interesting. The Swarm has been played by two different actors now. And he said he was renewed at last, which is similar to what Patrick Troughton said after he changed uh, from William Hartnell. I think the direct quote there is, I've been renewed. Uh, So could could the Swarm actually be a part of the division? Uh, Because there's some similar clothing going on as well. Well, I feel that we've what we saw at the temple of Atropos. So we've had the the Muri, I believe was how it was pronounced. Yep. So they're in charge of handling time. All time has to come through them. This idea that time is um, destruction, time is evil. Yep. So it says the little floating pyramids. So they have time has to be filtered and controlled by these entities at the temple to stop it, I guess, from being like anything. It's like any power. Like electricity is dangerous if you don't harness it properly. Yeah. You know, nuclear energy is dangerous if you don't harness it properly. All these sorts of things stand out in the sun too long. But um, I get the impression that maybe since Swarm and Azure have been in this temple before to the point there is now security systems in place to stop them being there. Maybe they came to, this is where the timeless child came from. These, this temp, these temple uh, beings somehow were in control of, of the, this timeless child, the swarm and azure character characters have come to maybe kidnap that child. So they too could harness the power of time, time travel, regeneration. And the Mori have thrown the child through this portal to be found by the Tectayun character from Gallifrey, which we saw in the timeless children cliffhanger finale at the end of last series it's all very complicated but i'm starting to see where the the possibility of things threading together could be yeah look the uh it's really exciting when everything starts to come together like this Uh, the temple of atropos is as you said on the planet time uh you know, Atropos is in Greek mythology uh, is one of the uh, fates, or known as the Moré, which is M O I R A I. Atropos also means unalterable or inflexible. So, there's yeah, something maybe about this temple that kind of keeps it, uh, you know, locked away from the the ravages of time as well. Is it possible that the Doctor is also a Moré? Yeah, that's that's what it could be. Again, we still don't have genuine confirmation that the Doctor was the OG timeless child. 
Um, I'm beginning to think now maybe that could be the case because there's a lot of stuff that would otherwise have to be undone with the Ruth fugitive doctor if this isn't Mm. the case, if they're not the same. Um, There is now a possibility of having your cake and eat it too where you can say, well, the doctor isn't the timeless child or wasn't the timeless child. But the Ruth Doctor does exist because of the flux, perhaps, and right. how that is making everything go crazy. Even the fact that Swarm knows who Yaz and Vinda yep. both are, and to the point where uh, Swarm knows what's written on Yaz's hand. I'm guessing this is a something that will come up in a later episode in this run where all of this is revealed, that t- for him to know it now because Yaz is asking, how do you know all this stuff? And he says, oh, you're such pathetic linear creatures. It makes me wonder why she always chooses you guys to be her companions. So so he knows something, almost like he has lost the battle at some point in what will be the future of these stories. So then he goes back in the past to try to rectify it and win the next time round. But, man, I'm loving the characters. These villains, when they turn up on screen, they get my attention. I am in. They are scary, this cliffhanger ending. They seem dangerous without the manic nature that we saw with the Master Last series. Yeah. They're just – and they're fascinating. I don't know that there's much more to them than what we see, but man, I really am invested in them as as a very worthy villain for this six episode run. Well, they're fascinating to look at uh, the the way they've been designed as well. I don't know about you, but uh, when you look at photos of them, not so much when they're moving, but when you look at photos of them, their heads kind of look like planets. Like it's like there's mountains coming out of their heads. It's like there's shapes of like peninsulas and. You know, is there something, you know, grander to them? Are they potentially, you know, physical manifestations of would-be planets or something, you know, like or, uh, Ego, the living whatever. planet? Well, exactly. Or are they the living embodiment of the flux? Right. Remember, again, we don't necessarily see everything that's delivered to us on screen in the linear way that it's presented. All the stuff that was happening last series where we thought we were flashing back to Ireland with the young Brendan character mm. who who did fall off a cliff and didn't die and then grew up and became a cop and had his mind wiped by, as we found out, the division, that was all just played out in the doctor's head. It wasn't mm. even a flashback. It was happening at that time in her head and even then it was masked to hide another story that was really happening underneath of potentially what happened to her. So you can't read anything at face value. So even what we're seeing with the flux could be these characters are that physical manifestation. The the big jutting crystal-looking things coming out of Swarm's head look a lot like what's happening to the interior of the TARDIS. The TARDIS, the yeah. A lot of that is really interesting to contemplate. I really, really am excited now. From last week, there was a lot of stuff on the table to see now where it's headed is really interesting. Like the Claire character who got taken back in time, Yeah, looking back at that episode again, when she, she may just be a simple, you know, we're going to loop around to her again. And the reason she knows the doctor 
and Yaz is because she has met them already where they say, oh, we met you on Halloween where you were really nervous, which is why she was nervous on Halloween because she knows that's when she goes home and a weeping angel sends her back in time. So all these little things that are going on at the same time might not actually be happening at the same time. Yes, yes, and it's a fun thing to try and work out. The mm. Also, they now have, uh, the Swarm and Azure now have a third party in the passenger who yes. is is the passenger just a heavy hitter or is the passenger someone in disguise? Because, look, at first glance, it's like, oh, Darkseid got sick and tired of waiting for another Zack Snyder <laughs> movie and is now back here. Well, but it's very, <laughs> very interesting the way there is no... Uh, dialogue for that character. No, I was trying to work out could this be Die when they grabbed Die at the end of last episode and and right. said, "Oh, we're going to have some fun with you." Yeah, it seemed somewhat like Swarm was possibly surprised, mildly surprised when they all transported to the temple, turned right. and saw the passenger and went. Oh, passenger, you're here. That makes us three. So that sort of seemed a bit like, oh, I didn't expect to see you here. Um, at the same time, it was Azure last week that took die. Swarm wasn't around for that. So I guess it would kind of make sense. But what, whether die or not, who is this character? What is the point of this character? Why do they need this passenger with them? I'm excited. I don't want to build my expectations up too much, but we know, we know, we've, we saw Sontarans, we saw Weeping Angels. There's a trailer next week that says we have Cybermen. Yeah. There are other characters that have been shown. Knowing how much Chris Chibnall keeps his cl- cards close to his chest, and I said this last week, there's going to be a big surprise. There's going to be a something that we're not ready for or expecting. And I'm very excited to see what it is. I don't really know, but I think that there's there's still a very big oh my god moment to come because for a show that has been doing zero publicity in the lead up to it, now they seem to be doing everything in their trailers. Um, that w- certainly once we get past episode three, I don't think we've seen any clips of those episodes yet. So. There's some big reveals to come, I think. Yeah, it's uh, there's so many uh, hints throughout even this episode. Like, they tied off some things from the first episode, but now we're starting to get to a point where you are asking the question, is the flux sentient or just a force of nature? And, you know, you said earlier there's that line of time is evil. It will seek out its own. Are they talking about the planet time or is time considered sentient like potentially the fluxes as well, and they're seeking each other out. Yeah, or have have Swarm and Azure learnt how to harness the weapon of time to to use it to create the flux and destroy everything. Right, you know that maybe that's maybe that's part of it that they they have worked out how to yeah how to how to weaponize time um there's a lot of little nuggets in in this uh episode um again the idea that swarm knows who yaz is and that the doctor has heaps of companions like this i don't want to get 
too excited, but is there, you sit there thinking, wow, is there a possibility? And maybe it's not in this six-episode run. Let's remember Chris Chibnall isn't done. He still has two other specials to go, and they're revolving around the, uh, well, there'll be the regeneration episode, which would be for Christmas, I believe. But before yep. that is one to celebrate 100 years of the BBC, which is pretty big. Treat that like you would a 60th anniversary episode. Yep. So could it all be, you know, a multi-doctor, multi-companion swarm trying to take them all out or them all battling to stop swarm could still come? Just because we stop the flux doesn't mean we stop the villain swarm. So, yeah, again, don't want to get too excited, but there's yeah. just a lot of really fun um, elements that have been put into play right now. And uh, another fun thing about this episode is I think it really nailed uh, having a historical character in it. Uh, in this one, we meet the uh, Mary Seacole, who was a Jamaican businesswoman who provided sustenance and care for British soldiers at the battlefront of the Crimean War. And uh, did you know much about the, 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 the real life Mary before this, or was this a new uh, uh, introduction to a historical figure for you? Uh, very much a new one for me and right in the wheelhouse of Chris Chibnall, who may not have been everyone's perfect showrunner, but what I love about his time running Doctor Who is that he obviously had an agenda of I want to shine a light on some of the, the women in history that have mm. maybe been forgotten. Yes, there was an episode based around Rosa Parks, which is a big one, but also some of these... Other characters like Mary, uh, like Mary Seacole, um, Mary Shelley, of course, mm. in The Haunting of Villa Diodati, Ada Lovelace, Noor Khan, all these famous women from history that you could possibly um, be critical of saying, well, they're not at the forefront of the episode like Rosa Parks was. But what I like about it is you will sit there and go and Google well, I want to find out who Mary is mm. and find out more about her. And, and that's a very important service that, that these, these episodes are providing. The guy who's digging the tunnels everywhere is oh, a yes. real guy as well. Yes. Yes. I didn't catch last week because I don't care. I didn't think of even bothering to look that up like I would Mary Seacole. Of course, Mary Seacole, I'm like, well, I'm guessing she was a real woman. But did I bother last week to Google, was there a weird guy called Williamson who dug a bunch of tunnels in Liverpool? Yes, there was. And those yes. tunnels still exist. And it's- no one knows why he spent all this money digging a bunch of tunnels that seemed to twist and turn and go nowhere. So, yeah. so very interesting. This is what Doctor Who was initially set up to do in 1963, teach kids about history in a fun way. And nearly 60 years later, it's still doing it. Oh, yeah. It's one of those things where sometimes when adults are getting frustrated, you do have to say, hey, this is for kids. This is family entertainment. Yeah. And let's try to re- keep that in mind. Uh, I did some extra research on uh, Joseph Williamson after we recorded because we have such a, a, a short turnaround. And uh, the Williamson tunnels uh, – and 
extensive subterranean excavation in the Edge Hill area of Liverpool. They were dug between 1810 and 1840. As you already said, the purpose of the tunnels remains a point of speculation. Some people think it was for commercial quarrying or a philanthropic desire to provide employment, or maybe he was just eccentric. And where do you think this story is going? Is this is this a tunnel? Is is he? Is this what the TARDIS is turning into? Is this the planet of time forming in this area? There's so much to wonder about. Yeah, I guess because again, we had we we have the idea that time is being ripped apart and put back together all at once, uh, and so it's all just a bit of a mess. That um, Williamson even saying. Uh, that all, all is porous, all is broken. He sees Yaz. He asks her when she says, "What time? What year is this?" And mm. he his ears prick up as if to say, "Well, wait a minute. It's why would you be asking that? Mm. That seems like it's important." Or, or when he gives the answer and she seems to react, he says, "Ha! Huh, that seems like it's not the answer you were expecting." Mm. So he his character, it seems, is all about okay. Uh, whether he's just, I don't know, trying to find something within the tunnels or whether it seemed like he wasn't freaking out about the fact he was in the temple. Mm. Maybe he's been trying to map them out in a similar way or, again, the TARDIS is coming in and out and he's trying to track them down as well. But he seems to know something. So I feel we will get an episode. Maybe it's next week because it seems... um, Next week's episode, uh, Once Upon a Time, seems to be mm. dealing with a lot of fluctuating um, in and out of different anachronistic moments like we've seen before with the Matt Smith era. Yeah. So maybe this will be the focus of his episode next week. I'm, I'm interested to see where, where he goes next from here. Uh, one of the things that I also uh, noticed uh, about Seacole was, um, by the way, the actor, Sarah Powell, was great. You know, you always need a good actor to come in and really make you uh, make a character pop. Can I say, I thought she was, uh, she struggled with the accent. I feel oh, really? I was losing, yeah, I felt I was losing a little bit of something from her performance because it felt to me like she was concentrating too much on getting the accent right at the expense of getting to get some of her performance a little bit more fine-tuned. That's, uh, that's Maybe well, it's just a little thing for me. Well, as someone who's good at accents, you would notice that, and as someone who sometimes <laughs> doesn't recognise Australian accents, uh, though I, I did not pick up on that. Uh, but she was married to an Edwin Horatio Hamilton Seacole. So, you know... Maybe there's a little. Uh, <laughs> maybe I was just watching a relative uh, back there. I'd like to think so. Anyway. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. Now, uh, look, one of the other things I just I just need to to put in there too. Um, this uh, this episode also directed by Jamie Magnus Stone. As my wife has often pointed out to me, as an actor, sometimes you can get put in a situation where something a writer puts in a script, they don't think about how it is then on screen. It reads as a great reveal on paper, but that doesn't always convey properly on screen to the expense of the actor. I think we had two examples of that, which I won't really let slide too much because 
it's Chris Chibnall who's who's writing these scripts, not just uh, <laughs> right. a writer that then it goes through the system. And Jamie uh, Magnus Stone, who uh, directed last week's episode as well as uh, Spyfall in uh, last se- series. So similarly, last week we had the opening shot of the Doctor saying, "Hey, I, I feel like I'm responsible. We've got you right where we want you." And I can feel like the script is saying. Then the camera tilts around to realize they're hanging upside down. But right. you know that they're hanging upside down. They're quite clearly hanging upside down. So that moment was kind of lost for me. Yep. And we had two more of those in this episode. One was the doctor going, right, let's see. Everything seems to be out of whack here. Show me a map. And she puts her finger on Britain. She goes, Britain's okay. Then the camera very tight pans across to um, uh, over to Trinidad. Okay, well, that's where you're from, Mary. That seems to be fine. And if we go across to Russia, whoa, it says Sontar in yeah. huge, bold letters that would have leapt off that map yeah. in the early going in the same way that when Dan lands back at his where his house would be, yeah. he it takes him forever to realise, oh, wait, there's a giant spaceship in that football yeah. field. I know that the house is focused. <laughs> But yeah. it's one of those things when in the script it's it's on, oh, then we reveal on the map it says Sontar, or then we reveal that there's a giant Sontaran spaceship uh, on top of this sports stadium. That's one thing, but to try to get to convey that without the, the character looking like, well, hang on, how would you not have noticed that is sometimes right. a bit tough. Yeah. It still looked impressive when he finally saw it, though. Hey, look, his house was missing. <laughs> He's still trying to work out how... What happened to me house? Yeah. So fair enough. Uh, and the, his mum and how I really love that his mum and dad are in there now. Similar well, to um, when we had Donna and Rose, bringing the companions' families in can sometimes be a really great thing. And those two were a wonderful comedy double act. And when you so, added Dan to the mix, it just rounded it out perfectly. So that was one of my notes. Was that was one of the highlights for me? The mum and dad felt purely beautifully realised. Like, I understood each of them very quickly. I understood the dynamic in the family. And also, I'm hoping that he keeps carrying the walk. (laughs) That scene between the Doctor and Dan in the two Sontaran ships, where she's like, what have you got? And he's like, I've got a walk. And she's like, what? Why have you got a walk? Was a beautiful bit of interplay between the two actors. Jody does comedy really well, really, yes. really well, and that shone through in that scene. But even the, the bit in the car with his mum and dad where they've got the walk and he says, how's that going to help? And the mum says, oh, they've got this probic thing on the yeah. back of their neck. And the dad says, all right, no need to get medical. Like, you know, let's just, like she said, <laughs> vagina or penis or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, I, look, I don't know who this drunken guy with the mallet was who was roaming around <laughs> right. swinging at Sondaran, but I want to meet that guy. He sounds yeah. like just a good night out. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, that's the next big finish they have to re- release. Is a guy with a giant mallet who every time there's an alien invasion thinks, fuck it, I'm getting drunk and I'm going to smack whatever I find. And he apparently lives in a town called Bacon End, I think it yeah. was, which is yeah. wonderful. It's all perfect. <laughs> I, I was finding there's a, and I mean this as a as a real compliment, but uh, the Doctor and Dan is starting to remind me of the Doctor and Donna in some ways. Yep. 
Yeah, you could see the two of them having a similar sort of exchange like we had with Partners in Crime where the Doctor and Donna are looking across um, a, a boardroom through two different doors and sort yes. of mouthing to each other, it's me, I know, yes. what are you doing here? Yeah. Uh, I could see Dan and the Doctor having that having a moment like that even just his um his reaction when they landed too and he's like oh so how do you feel he goes oh like i just got spat through a time vortex out of a, a space machine and like just a really wonderful uh real way of speaking too i yes. just really i really really dig his character when maybe i wasn't sure if i wanted him in the mix at the moment yes um as is finding her place really well i thought she yeah. really I like the way she came into the scene with Vinda. I think yep. uh, Dan's finding his groove. I can see the three of them working well together. It's a shame that we're only probably going to get them for this six-step run and then that's it. It's disappointing uh, because uh, I've really uh, I've really enjoyed all of the Dan stuff. Running around with Caravanista has been fantastic. Uh, and the Yaz stuff, it's like, well, now that she's getting more room to breathe, I'm I'm – I'm starting to get some classic feelings of uh, previous companions with her. She's starting to feel a little bit rose, uh, a little bit mm. like Martha. You know, once they became uh, savvy with the way that the Doctor reacted, they also had a level of savviness to them. A little bit Clara as well. You know, Clara got really headstrong and and dangerously like the Doctor. But Yaz is really turning into one of the, the excellent companions because she's defined but also capable as well and i i hope that i would like to see her survive the regeneration and move on with the next doctor because i i have a feeling are you introducing vinda so she goes off and has adventures with him like there was a there was a there was kind of like a little bit of magic between them very early yeah yeah that's a good point there seems to be we haven't had a companion just disappear off into space as opposed to just stay home yeah. uh, in, in a while. I would have to think about that off the top of my head. I, I can't think. Um, I mean, Martha ended up in an alternate reality type of thing, as did Rose. But but still, you know, the, the idea that a, a character much like um, Romana ended up on Gallifrey, uh, as did... Um, uh, Leela, I think, as well. All these um, classic companions who, while they were out traveling, would just go, you know what, I'm just going to stay on this planet and just hang out and, and see what happens. I reckon, I reckon I can make a difference here. As opposed to, well, every trip ends with going home and at some point I just won't get back on the TARDIS. It'd be nice to see Yaz go off and hang out with Vinda. He's obviously got a bit of a story as well. Swarm yeah. was sort of hinting at, you know, you you need a bit of redemption. You were almost exiled on your little um, ship. Again, last week he was saying to the people who put me here, hey, thanks a lot and screw you. Yeah. So there, there is something there. I was under the impression he was a villain. Maybe I just misinterpreted his character being introduced at, at um, Comic-Con. I right. thought there was a reference to him being a villain, but maybe I just filled in a blank. I'll need to go back and look at that. Well, so, uh, you I know, hope that's not the case. That's, that's ruined a, a wonderful villainous turn that could be coming up. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> oops. Uh, but he's also like, he hasn't had much to do so far, but the actor's really good because I always, 
Like, I already have a feeling that I like him. So I can't wait mm. to find out more about the character, and I'm guessing he'll get an episode that will centre on him and how he's involved yeah. in all of this too. And it works. It works well because yeah, Yaz is stepping up to sort of play that, like you say, a more um, um, informed and um, grounded companion. Mm. And uh, and then there's Dan, sort of being the oaf who. Uh, who's saying, uh, they mentioned something about Japanese food. They were just really focusing on tempura. <laughs> yeah. and, and the doctor's like, could it, could it be temporal? Could you mean yeah. temporal? And then she said, hold up the phone and I'll get the phone. I'll get the, the video off your phone. And he's Cause I can just extract everything off your phone. And he's like, um, even the photos nervously. <laughs> so I like the fact that he's, he's the dummy. Yeah. Yaz is the, the sort of alpha of the team. Um, and a nice little setup with, it's uh, not tempura, it's temple, which means as in time, because yeah. later on when they get to the temple, the doctor does a scan and she says that the uh, temporal readings are zero, which can't be right. So what she's essentially, uh, and the, the spatial temporal, meaning yeah. time and space, yeah. readings are zero. So as far as she's saying, this is saying we are nowhere and, and and at no time, and that's not possible. So yep. that's sort of saying that we are at what could be the original Big Bang of the entire universe in, in the temple, which is a really cool idea. Yeah, it's, uh, once again, lots of uh, little throwaway lines that when you sort of pay attention to them, you think, okay, you are slowly revealing a mosaic to us. And, you know, Mm. if we show some patience, you know, it'll all come to us. Uh, Getting to the crime... I like that an episode episode called The War of the Sontarans, the Sontarans aren't sort of the first thing you leap on when you're looking back at the episode itself. Well, yeah, that's it exactly. Uh, the The Crimean War uh, was a military conflict fought from October 1853 to February 1856, uh, in which Russia lost to an alliance of France, the Ottoman Empire, the United Kingdom, and Sardinia. It was a war that kicked off over the rights of Christian minorities in Palestine, which at the time was a part of the Ottoman Empire. And it, I just really loved the idea that the Sontarans saw the flux coming and went, well, we can take advantage of this. And it's like yeah. a secondary threat. And I really enjoyed the Sontarans. They're, they're kind of, they're, they're kind of a formidable foe and also entertaining at the same time. Yeah. I think we got the mix right here. They had yeah. become quite comical. And again, we had Dan Starkey playing the, the, oh. the goofier, uh, you know, I, I will take you out for the glory and of, of yeah. Sontar. Uh, character, yes. but I like the fact that that they were otherwise they were imposing. That battle scene looked money. Yeah, where they were all out there. I mean, we haven't seen Sontarans in full for a warrior race. We haven't really seen them in full battle mode like this since the David Tennant two part of the um, Sontaran stratagem, Poison Sky. Yep, and it's nice to sort of have them back in that mode where they're. Equal parts formidable and you would say scary, but also they've still got that kind of goofiness about them that have made them quite popular in the last couple of years. Again, a nice little reference to I'm claiming this planet. We've always wanted it since uh, Lynx, Lynx. Commander Lynx came here. And that's like 1973, isn't it? Yeah, the very first um, Sontaran story, the Time Warrior. So that sort of stuff is really cool just to sort of get those 
older references in, just a little throwaway line if you yeah. get it, great. If you don't, move on. Um, yeah. But, yeah, and, you know, haven't as a performer, haven't we both sort of felt that feeling of being having a stench of humiliation that infects everybody around you sometimes <laughs> when you have that gig? <laughs> Yes, or I've I, I've uh, I've noticed it on others and think, well, maybe I just won't go over there, so it doesn't infect me. Uh, but yeah, good- and I'll say this too. You know, I I have been one of those people that maybe uh, felt a little bit um, less than uh, excited as I thought I was going to be with the early parts of of the Chris Chibnall run, mm. but seeing him in charge of the scripts as well this time around, he's not handing mm. them over to other people. It's it's now as much as you, having been critical before of oh, but I really liked Broadchurch, but I didn't feel that some of the stuff in the recent series of Doctor Who has been similar to that when I thought it was. Well, he wasn't actually writing all of the episodes now he is and mm. some some of the lines like the Sontaran to the um logan the general logan who mm. great to have just a, a, a human man being the biggest dick in an entire episode yeah um but his line of i accept your offer of a massacre your blood will soak our uniforms and your bodies shall soften our steps is that's a powerful <laughs> good line to make. yeah yeah that's a great piece of writing right there and i am loving that like we got a big cliffhanger this episode that will roll into next episode and yeah. this is all going to be one long storyline because didn't we all feel after fugitive of the jadoon similar to this big title with a classic villain in it that uh, was just a front for there's actually really more important stuff in this story to chew on. And then we got to the end of that episode and then we sh- went straight into a not very good episode the week after Yeah, with Praxius that whether it was just by virtue of the fact of what it was or its placement had you going, I want to get back to yeah. who is Ruth? What is the timeless child? What is going on? And we're getting that this series. We don't yeah. have to step out of our main story to step back in. And, in fact, the end of The Fugitive of the Jadoon, I went back and watched it during the week, there's a lot in there to foreshadow what's coming now with the Doctor saying, time is swirling all around me, the Jadoon, Captain Jack, Ruth, something's coming for me, I can feel it. Yeah. So... This has kind of been one of those things that I think has been a seed that has been planted a lot further back than maybe we will give Chris Chibnall credit for until we see it all play out. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're correct. Uh, I'm uh, agree totally as well with the writing being so fantastic. Also, the the jokes have been first class. I love that the Sontaran wanted to go to the Crimean War because he always wanted to ride a horse. Weirdly, yes. I preempted one of the jokes. Uh, when, you know, she said, I won't talk to you until you take your helmet off. And as soon as she took it off in my head, I was like, I'll put the helmet back on. And the only reason I preempted that joke was because it reminded me of an episode of The Muppet Show when Miss Piggy was hanging out with John Denver and she said, I want to see you with your glasses off. And he took them off and she told him, put them back on, John. And it was a real funny moment. I, I thought this, uh, like, I laughed out loud quite a bit in this episode, but while I, it still I had. That that... Yeah, and also because it seemed like it was the doctor did that intentionally, like, take yeah. it off because she wanted to just 
you know, put him on the back foot right yeah. at the start of this parlay. It was really, really nicely done. I also thought of you when they were jumping onto the spaceship and had to put their hands in the Sontaran sort of <laughs> hand yeah. print model yeah. to open the door and just thought, thank goodness this wasn't similar to the leftovers where you have to put your penis <laughs> into the lock yeah. to uh, open the door because that could have made things very awkward indeed. Oh, man, I'm, I'm guessing a Sontaran penis is the last thing that you want to see just behind the tongue, I reckon. Not literally, yeah. but uh, in yeah, rankings. There's a, of, there's a bit of probing you don't want to think about. <laughs> I th- there was a, there was a really fun use of gender in this uh, episode as well, where the where the human general wouldn't respect the doctor because she was a woman. But then what I liked was the doctor also used that to her advantage to get closer to the Santarans because they underestimated her because she was mm. a woman. And exactly. it's it's been there hasn't been as Look, it's it's one of those things where if they lent into it too much, you'd get annoyed because you'd be like, yes, yes, we get it. But then at times it's like, well, you know, we've been awful towards women for centuries. So it makes sense that she would come up against certain uh, pushbacks that she hasn't had to experience in the adventures that we've seen before. Of course. And you think most of history, I think, as we mentioned before, this is why it's good to shine a light on important female historical figures because most of them haven't been given their due because it's, A, men that are writing the history and, B, they're the ones that also have been pushing their way to the front of the line to say, no, you can't do this, we can. And I like the fact that that's being acknowledged even with the doctor at the end of the episode looking at the lieutenant and saying, it's people it's men not people it's men like yeah. you yeah who who make me sometimes question why i try to save this planet and then she turned to um to mary and says i don't mean that about you or your your people like you though are the reason that i do and yeah. i think that's a really good thing to acknowledge cuz yeah it's it's true there's a lot of different things we talk about with race relations and how that's affected history in a lot of ways. But, you know, the the gender issue and gap has been a massive one. And, yeah. and not it's not just something that uh, is, uh, is more acknowledged in the modern world. It's been going on for a long, long time and, and would have stifled a lot of very successful people for a very, very long time. And yeah. some we probably don't even know about because... They were their history was erased by the men writing the stories. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it. As I said, it was fun to see her have to push up against it, but then also use it to her advantage. I, I really enjoyed. There was a lot of classic moments in this. You know, uh, the companions being forced apart, normal people achieving great moments, uh, running around industrial compounds at night. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed yes. that. And the Which looked just- like the exact same possible industrial compound from the woman who fell to earth when we yes. were in the big finale. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is Tim Shaw going to be there? But yes. uh, also the doctor coming up with the plan and i i know it seems you know handy that they all go and have their seven and a half minute sleep at the same time but uh, once <laughs> again it's fun 
I really enjoyed it. And then they came up with a good plan. Yeah, I like that she's – I thought it was good that the Doctor was using the knowledge that she had. Kind of nice that after all these years we've also thought about, well, the Sontarans do have this weird thing at the back of their head and that's always been their literal soft spot. Mm. So it's nice to, after all this time, give it a reason. I don't know that there's actually been a proper explanation for why it's there. Mm. Um, I might have missed that. I'd need to do some more homework on it. But I don't think it's it's been explained as well as it has been and then used to an advantage rather than just, hey, that's their soft spot, same same as, well, sometimes you can rub gold on a Cyberman's chest and it will kill them. Yeah. Um, depending on which Cyberman you're dealing with, it's not 100% canon. But, um, yeah, this was kind of a nice little thing to have in there. And the intel that the Doctor was getting, she was using then to formulate a plan. It wasn't someone else coming in and doing it for her, which yeah. in some cases has been one of the, again, sort of tripping points of, of this uh, female Doctor. Yeah, yeah. I want the doctor to be the smartest person in the room and uh, and not be like I understand that they were kind of trying to change it up a little bit. You know, she's there with her mates, she's more collaborative, etc. But realistically, I just want her to come up with a plan that works, that's amazing, and we got it in this episode. Uh, also, uh, what's um, I can't remember if it's called anything, but you know her her version of the Vulcan nerve pinch as well. Nice to see her get yeah, a little bit yeah, physical, which, which we have seen her use before. I think yeah. she used it maybe in in the first series, but yeah, that's um, that's always good to to see in there, um, and. Yeah, you forget she's got all these tools in there. It's like psychic paper and, mm. um, I mean, there's lots of lots of different little skills that the Doctor's had over the years. Um, so it's I, I like when this is the benefit of having a fan that works on the show, someone who can go back and say, hey, there's this reference and this reference and there was that yeah. one time that the Doctor was able to do this or do that, that uh, it is just good to use to your advantage at times like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I that was that was a really nice one. I like that too. And uh, one last question for you is: Has the TARDIS never had a door before? Because it, I can't remember, but it was so effective to really yeah. up the stakes. It's just such a simple idea, and her just walking around and around, and it, the door not being there, especially after seeing all the doors in the previous episode. It, yeah. And also the idea that the TARDIS is corrupted. I don't think we've seen that before I mean, either. That's- and that's a terrifying thought because uh, – and the cloister bells, which is a very mm. classic element of the TARDIS that um, if you actually go back and look at it, hasn't been used as much as you think. It's a very iconic sound but hasn't actually been used that many times. Mm. So the fact that we're hearing it a lot um, is a very, very big deal. It, the mm. TARDIS is in distress. There's There's – very real danger going on uh and there's something i find quite unnerving about seeing the tardis in a vulnerable state the tardis has been blown to bits and put back together you know the 11th hour it kind of disappeared and came back all fixed up and usually after regeneration it gets you know the doctor still hasn't worked out hey i know it's important to be in the tardis to regenerate but geez all those you know, fireworks that burst out of your hands do a lot of damage to your yeah. interiors. Yeah. Um, but the TARDIS, it still survives every time. So when the TARDIS is in a vulnerable state, you really do feel like 
the stakes are very high and we, there's, yeah. there is trouble going on. And the idea that the doctor can't even get in, there's no door, is, uh, yeah, I, I find that another one of those elements that's great to have in the mix with that, a very formidable villain, and the idea that, well, time is being ripped to pieces. So you could, ha- you could, you know, as we found with Yaz and Dan being taken away, interesting where they ended up to. Mm. Is someone pulling the strings of that? Was that intentional, unintentional? The, the Doctor and Dan were both pulled with the TARDIS into the temple, so that mm. too suggests whether it's the flux or someone else, there is somebody pulling the strings, there is some sort of sentient nature to this, um, or it's just such a big moment, it's sucking them in like a black hole. But all of that I find really great because, again, it keeps happening next week. We're not going to have a palate cleanser where we're off just doing a nice, fun historical romp. These, all of these stories are now rolling into one, and it's just keeping me really vested. Yeah, and as I said in the intro, it's really exciting to know that we are two-thirds of the way through the story already. Oh, my God, I know. I was thinking that next week is, uh, is the halfway point, and we, yeah. have, we know that the Weeping Angels are in episode four, yeah, what we'll get for titles five and six, and how much of a peak that will be into what's coming up. And we know the Weeping Angels love dealing with people's time being messed up, and they can chomp on that. So knowing next week, it seems time is being completely thrown out of whack. Yeah, um, it makes sense that we get the the Angels the week after. Um, but I still don't feel that's giving too much away. And where does it all lead? Oh, I'm very excited. I'm very excited as well. All right, I'm looking forward to uh, catching up with you next week to find out what happens in the next chapter. Well, I accept your offer and pledge to end your life with maximum suffering at our next encounter. to Rove yet again for joining me today and another shout out to the other Wilcox for being our patron of the episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode and what we're creating here this season and also for the rest of you, remember to check out the other Wilcox Facebook page for their very funny cartoons. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with comedian Rebecca Melrose and my review of Eternals and then on Thursday with our next Space Podacy episode covering the 80s classic The Thing. And if you would like to write to Rove and I uh, and talk to us and uh, share your thoughts on the the new episode of Doctor Who, uh, you can do so at the Big Squid Facebook page or you can just find us on Twitter. Make sure you use the hashtag WhoVeansAU so we can find it easily. Let's finish today with a quote from Mandip Gill. I look for a great story, one that I would like to watch or tell or that I think needs to be told because I know that, as an actress, I have a responsibility to tell certain stories and to tell them properly. I think she's doing great work this season. Much preferring her with more room to breathe. She's doing a great job. Until then. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.